theguardian.co.uk. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one-month no-commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to guardian.co.uk slash audible for further details. Hello, my name is Roddy Doyle and this is the uh, Guardian Children's Book Podcast and I'm going to read a small piece from a new book called A Greyhound of a Girl. It's about four women, the youngest of whom is called Mary and she's 12. Then there's her mother, her grandmother and her great-grandmother who's so old that she's actually dead. So I'm going to read a passage now that involves three of the four women. Mary laughed again. The woman sounded like her grandmother, but then that made her sad and angry again. She was going to cry, she thought she was. What's wrong with you? said the woman. My granny's not well, said Mary. Sure I know, said the woman. Well, why did you ask then? said Mary. God, you're a rip, all right. What does that mean? You're a cheeky young lady, said the woman. Everyone says that, said Mary, that I'm cheeky, but I'm not. I'm just honest. Good girl yourself. Mary looked at the woman again. She wasn't old at all. She looked younger than Mary's mother, although it was hard to tell with adults what age they were. Mary was sure she'd never seen this woman before. Never talk to strangers, she'd always been told. But that's stupid, she'd said a few years ago. Why is it stupid? her mother asked. Did you know Dad when you met him? said Mary. No. So he was a stranger, but... And you spoke to him, said Mary. So if, like, nobody spoke to strangers, nobody would meet and get married, and a human race would, like, cease to exist. But your dad wasn't a stranger. Yes, he was. He must have been. He wasn't strange, said her mother. He was nice. Nice, said Mary. The nice fellows are the ones you should be worried about. Her mother laughed. What's so funny, said Mary. Who told you that? Granny. I should have known, said her mother. Well, never mind your granny. Don't talk to strangers. Never mind your granny, said Mary. I'll have no one left to talk to. But you know what I mean, said her mother. About strangers? Yes. Don't worry, said Mary. I won't talk to any. But she did. Now. How do you know about my granny? She asked at the woman. Ah, sure, I just do, said the woman. She stood back and shimmered, kind of, as if she was stepping behind a sheet of clear plastic. It's life, she said, and she was solid again and smiling. But Mary was a bit scared and cold. I have to go, she said. Right so, said the woman. She didn't step out of the way. She didn't seem to move at all. But even so, she must have, because she wasn't in front of Mary anymore. So, very early on, we meet the ghost. And you mentioned that one of the main characters is dead. Mm -hmm. But it's not a ghost story, as we would normally think of it. Why did you decide to make your ghost so unghostly and we have attempted to make it more of a spooky story in this case no i didn't want it to be spooky the woman before she died was a lovely woman lovely enthusiastic full of life and in love with life and her husband and her children and the farm that she lived on and then very quickly she dies and it seemed to make sense that 
after her death, she'd still be lovely. You know, it didn't make any sense to put cobwebs on her, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, for this particular story, I'd no wish to frighten or scare. She's a very strong female character, one of four very strong female characters. There, there are men in the book, but they're, they're kind of fleeting. There's they're Mary's brothers and there's her father, but we, we hardly see them. And what was it like immersing yourself in, in female characters like this, four generations of women? Well, I've done it before in my adult work. I've written two novels from the point of view of women. With any character, if you're going to put a character in a book, even if it's only for a half a page or a page and a half, somehow or other they have to be strong. Not necessarily physically strong, but strong in the sense of being memorable, that the words I choose to describe them or the words I give them to talk have to be somehow worthwhile, as if they're carved on stone a bit, you know, that they have to be memorable, as memorable as the main characters are. So writing from the point of view of women is just a bit more difficult for me because I'm not one. But I grew up in a family, I have my own family. and But if I was writing from the point of view now of a child, I have to be very careful because I'm not a child. And I can fall back on memory, but that's not enough. Or if I was writing from the point of view of a very old man, because I'm not quite there either, I'd have to be very careful about the words I choose. So when I'm writing about a woman or a girl, it's the same challenge, really. It, it seems to me that the, the four voices, they, there is a family resemblance there, but they're all rooted in their sort of historical period because you are talking about four generations. How tricky was that to do? And, and how much research did you do into the, the oldest of the women? I did absolutely no formal research whatsoever, but I, what I tend to do is I put down too much and then I take away some of it. So from listening to my mother... She uses the phrase tis a lot. It is, tis. So I had the older women use that phrase. Instead of saying, it's a nice day, they wouldn't say, yes, they say tis. The youngest character, Mary, uses the term, I use the word like a lot. I tried to make it realistic at first, but it's almost unbearable. When I hear my daughter talk, and I hear her talking to her friends, I understand perfectly what they're saying. But if you transcribe it and put it on paper, all meaning seems to disappear because the word like is like a fence somehow. It gets in the way all the time. So I left them for a while and then, say, would look at a sentence where there might be four likes and took away three of them. So much of this book is about what we pass down through the generations, isn't it? I suppose it is. I wasn't overly aware of that, really. Even though I grew up in a family and I have a family... I never saw it in a tribal sense of passing down traditions. But I suppose in a way you do. And you hear little bits of something in the way a child speaks that actually reminds you of a grandparent. And a strange one, really. A child walks in a way that reminds you of a sister or maybe somebody that the child couldn't possibly have met. And it's very moving somehow. Uh, But I didn't have that in mind with the book. I think it's about death But it's also about love. And death is inevitable, but somehow or other we can live on. Most obviously in the case of an artist, for example. You know, I'm reading a novel by Charles Dickens who died 150 years ago. So in a way he's still alive. But time spent with an older person, I think, that time rubs off on the younger person. And it's as if there's a little bit of that older person in the younger person. 
what happened in my own personal family story is that my mother's mother died when she was very, very young and she had nothing except the memory of her mother's hands doing things. No name, no photograph, nothing, no history, nothing. I grew up knowing that. It was a kind of a sadness in her life. And she discovered a family later on. It was, it was a lovely thing to witness. And I think what I was doing in my imagination in the book was filling that hole somehow. And you, you fill that hole in a very joyful and funny way. And we've got some questions from members of the Guardian Children's Book site. Oh, lovely. And one of those questions is about the humour in your books. This is from Orly the Bookworm, who's <laughs> age 12 from London. She says, I'm so excited as I just finished A Greyhound of a Girl, which was my birthday present a couple of days ago. I was wondering why Roddy decided to write funny books and where the jokes come from. I write funny books because it seems the natural thing to do. I suppose it's my attitude towards life. I take life very seriously and I take my work very seriously and actually writing humour, it's not hard as such, but it has to be very precise. If you put in one word too many, it isn't as funny as it should be. Or if you leave out a word, it isn't as funny as it should be. Or if you write lines that seem to be too obvious, that you're, you're, you're dragging the reader towards a funny line, it's not going to be a very funny line if it's too obvious. I grew up in a house that was very funny. My parents are very funny people. And I grew up in a, in a part of the world where there seems to be humour in the language. We all speak English, but there's always a phrase, there's always a word that's used, there's always something that makes even the saddest moments somehow worth a smile. My parents were great mimics. They used to mimic the neighbours. And my father would sing songs and twist the lyrics a bit. And my brother, my younger brother, who's just a little bit younger than me, is the funniest person I've ever met. Hello, my name is Oshi Bhattacharya. I am 10 years old. I live in Mumbai, that is in India. When you write a book, does the title come first to you and then the story? Or is it the other way around? It's a wonderful thing to hear a question all the way from India. And it's a good question because one of the things I'm not very good at is titles. Quite a few of the titles of the books I've written, and I've written between adults and children, something like 16, quite a few of those books, although written by me every word, the titles were other people's ideas. And this is a case in point, The Greyhound of a Girl. I delivered a book called Mary for the simple reason that when I was filing it away in my laptop, I needed to put a name instead of just book. <laughs> so my publisher, Marion Lloyd, went through the book and she came up with five phrases, I think, from the book. And a greyhound of a girl, which is something that somebody says to describe herself, jumped out. I always need a title somehow. It's like you have a baby and you adore the baby, but you know you can't decide what to call the baby. But if, you, if, if the child is 13 and you're still calling it the baby, that baby's in trouble because it doesn't have a proper identity. So you have to give a name to the thing as quickly as possible. Got a question here from Danny, who's 13, from Colchester in Essex. He says, you are famous for writing adult books as well as children's books. Obviously, you've, you've won the Booker Prize for, mm -hmm. for an adult book. But he asks, do you write them differently? And when you get an idea for a book, how do you know if it's going to be for kids or grown-ups? That's a brilliant question. It's, two, it's actually probably two questions there, is it? Basically, if I'm writing for adults or children, I have to take both equally seriously. And I always feel that the child is exactly like the adult, except hasn't been around quite as long. 
And that's the only difference, experience. And with that comes, say, some words, maybe a few hundred words that people over the age of 18 may use and people under the age of 15, 14, 13, whatever, don't use yet. Conversations between adults that they find interesting to the child under the table are utterly baffling or boring are actually, in a strange way, fascinating because they make a different kind of sense altogether. Well, I wrote a book for adults called Paddy Clark, Ha Ha Ha, about a 10-year-old boy. And this might explain, to a degree, the difference between writing for adults and writing for children. I'd fall back on my childhood to try and imagine him as a 10-year-old boy. And my parents, who are 60 years married, have always lived in the same house. So it was easy to go to their house, which is quite close to my own. So I walked into the kitchen, as I would have done maybe once a week or once a fortnight. But then I got down on my knees so that I could imagine myself as a 10-year-old boy in the kitchen. I went to the fridge and I kind of looked at the fridge from that angle instead of from the adult. And in ways it all came back. Sitting under a table is a fascinating thing for kids to do. So it's almost like the angle. You come at this story from a slightly different angle. If I'm writing from the point of view of a child, I have to think about it because I'm not one. I think the fundamental thing is that adults categorise things into important, very important, trivial, nonsense. Children don't. So President Obama's latest speech is as worried of attention as a fly and what the fly is doing. To an adult, the Obama speech is vital, the fly is a nuisance. To a kid, they're both worthy of the same attention. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.